Hey, Andrew here. If you uh, haven't listened to Monad 1, What is a Monad?, then you might be a little bit confused about the naming of the episodes on the podcast. So what I've done is I have some shorter and less highly produced episodes that I'm calling monads, and that's what you're about to hear. But the episodes that I was the most obsessive about and put the most effort and time into, I'm calling those episodes full episodes as part of a full season So go to the seasonal episodes if you want to hear Reductio at its best. But if you want to hear me kind of playing around with the medium and and playing around with ideas uh, that I find interesting in in a little bit shorter and more informal format, uh, then listen to the monads. I hope you enjoy. Reductio Adventures and Ideas. I'm your host, Andrew Lavin. Reductio is a show about philosophy, about ideas, and about understanding ourselves and our world more clearly. Brought to you by Inverted Spectrum Media. I was born in Inlow Hospital in my lovely hometown of Chico, California. Before I was born, I was scrunched up with this other dude who would come to be known as Bennett. I'm a fraternal twin. I had to share my mother's womb with someone else, and apparently that someone kicked me in the head repeatedly. Luckily, I don't remember any of this, but I do to this day attribute all the bad things in my life to being kicked in the head repeatedly in utero. Brothers are a real pain in the head sometimes. I love you, Bennett. Anyways, I've been planning out how to teach Intro to Philosophy this fall, and I've been thinking about some of my favorite arguments from the history of philosophy, and it got me thinking about this wonderful argument about what goes on before we're born. Do we remember stuff from before we were created? What were you before you were created, before you came into existence? Not before you were born, but before you had the first spark of life. Maybe before conception, let's say. What were you? Where were you? Were you anywhere? Was there a you? I'm going to try today to prove to you that you were around before you were born, which I'll just use as shorthand for the whole period of conception, gestation, and birth. You were around somewhere. And not only that, but you remember stuff from before birth. Wow. 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 Yeah. Wow. 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 Yeah, absolutely. Wow is right. I don't remember remembering stuff from before I was born, but Plato thinks that you remember lots of stuff from before you were born. So this character Plato, which was sort of a nickname but one which stuck, was the star pupil of this other character, Socrates. So Socrates of Socratic method fame, Plato of platonic relationship fame, Side note, Plato was the teacher of Aristotle, who was tutor to Alexander the Great, and in some sense the founder of virtually every classical academic discipline. So Socrates is like the great-grandpa, Plato like the grandpa, Aristotle like the father, and Alexander the Great was the last in the line. 
So we're talking about 400 years before the Common Era, so that's before the life of Jesus of Nazareth, primarily in Athens, Greece. Okay, so back to Plato. His real name, by the way, was reportedly Aristocles, but he got nicknamed Plato or Broad, either because he was broad-shouldered or broad-headed, or maybe more metaphorically because he had a breadth of knowledge or of eloquence or something. Plato was an interesting dude, but among the more interesting things about him was that he believed that we already know a lot of stuff that we only think we're learning throughout our lives, but we're actually recalling or recollecting or remembering. When are we remembering from? Like, when was there a time that we weren't around here on Earth yet, but when we already knew some stuff? One of his most famous arguments is called the argument from recollection. Let's explore this argument a bit today in this monad. If you're keen on looking this argument up in the original dialogue text, it's in the Phaedo, the Latinized version is P-H-A-E-D-O, and the Becker numbers, the numbers on the sides and the margins of the text, are 73C through 75E. Step 1. If you're recalling something, then you must have prior knowledge of that thing. Simple, right? This is supposed to just be a conceptual point. If you're recalling or remembering something, then necessarily you're recalling something you already knew. You must have prior knowledge that you are recalling. At this point in the proof, we haven't said anything controversial. At least it doesn't seem like we have. We're just giving a definition of sorts of part of what it means to recall or remember something. Step two. You do have knowledge of perfect equality. So here's a little mini argument within the whole overall proof. The goal here is to establish that we have prior knowledge of perfect equality of what it means to be perfectly equal. Think about it. When you have two pieces of string as a child and your mother asks you to cut them so that they're perfectly equal, you have a sense of what that means. Not only that, but you can tell that even if you cut them very carefully, there's a sense in which they'll never be perfectly equal. If someone asks you to go and find two perfectly equal sticks, you might go searching and find two sticks that are darn close to perfectly equal. You might even say to yourself, yeah, these are super duper equal. Good enough. But the whole time you're probably aware that they aren't exactly equal. Think about what's involved in this judgment. I know what it means to be perfectly equal, and that ain't it. At least this is what Plato thinks is involved in this judgment. Honestly, this is probably a thinner part of the argument's armor. If you're going to apply pressure to this argument, this would be a good spot to start questioning. Plato thinks that when I look at two sticks or pieces of string or whatever, and I recognize that they're equal, but not perfectly equal, I'm implicitly calling to mind an idea of what it means to be perfectly equal. And I'm doing this even as a child, even very early in life. I'm already judging that things are more or less equal, and to do so, I need to be drawing on an idea of perfect equality. So this whole mini-argument is supposed to prove that we do have prior knowledge of perfect equality. Where, the argument asks next, did this knowledge come from? I don't remember seeing any perfect equality around me in this life. Every equality around me seems to be less than perfectly equal. Step 3. Knowledge of perfect equality is either gained before or after birth. 
Again, since we have a different idea of birth than what goes on before birth, as did Plato in ancient Greece, we'll use birth as a stand-in for the whole gestation process. But what Plato is doing in his third step or premise is setting up a dilemma. We have knowledge of perfect equality. So when did we learn what perfect equality is? Before birth? After birth? During birth? Okay, so it's really more of a trilemma. But we can include during birth in the after birth category. We either learned about perfect equality before birth or at some point after or during birth. Step four. Our knowledge of perfect equality doesn't come from the senses. At this point in the argument, Plato starts thinking carefully about what it is to perceive things. He notes that we in fact never experience perfect equality. Even the most carefully and precisely machine-guided laser-cut components aren't perfectly equal. We all know that there are a molecule off here or there, a micron off here or there, maybe even a fraction of a millimeter off here or there. They're not perfectly equal. And they're probably the best candidate for things we can experience in this world that are perfectly equal. So we can conclude alongside Plato that we never experience perfect equality here in the natural world. It follows that our knowledge of perfect equality cannot come through the senses or through sense perception. If we never see perfect equality in the natural world around us, then it can't be perception which gives us the idea of perfect equality. Our knowledge of perfect equality must come from some non-sensory source. Hmm, where does it come from? Step five, knowledge of perfect equality must be obtained before any sense perception. Plato claims that to perceive something necessarily involves making comparative judgments between things. I need to be able to tell that this stick is longer than that stick to be able to perceive it all. All of these comparative judgments, Plato thinks, implicitly involve knowledge of perfect equality. We need to know what equal is if we're going to judge things as unequal in some respect. At least that's the argument here. I can tell just by looking that this hunter green is more similar to that forest green than that other tealish green. In order to do so, it seems I must have an idea of what it would be for two colors to be perfectly equal. I can tell just by hearing that this sound is more similar to this sound than it is to this sound. In order to do this, I must already have an idea of what it would be for two sounds to be perfectly the same. It follows, according to Plato, that our knowledge of perfect equality must be obtained before any sense perception at all. It's a necessary precondition for being able to perceive anything. We must already have knowledge of perfect equality. Step six, all of our knowledge after we're born is built on a foundation of sense perception. We don't gain knowledge without being able to perceive the world around us. So it's something like our learning anything in this life rests on sense perception and since perception rests on knowledge of perfect equality. Remove any of this and the whole tower collapses. Step 7. Therefore we don't gain knowledge of perfect equality after we're born. Here's where the dominoes start to fall and we start to get to our final conclusion. Steps 4, 5, and 6 imply that we don't gain knowledge of perfect equality after we're born or gestated or conceived. 
so we can't gain that knowledge of perfect equality that we seem to have after we're born. Step 8. Therefore we must have gained knowledge of perfect equality before we were born. One more domino. Steps 2, 3, and 7 entail or imply that we must have gained knowledge of perfect equality that we all apparently have before we're born. This is simply that dilemma we set up in step 3 rearing its head. If we didn't gain this knowledge of perfect equality after we came into natural existence, then we must have gained it before we showed up here in the natural world. Step 9. Therefore our knowledge of perfect equality is recollected from before we were born. Final conclusion. Just putting our original definition in step 1 together with step 8 to make this conclusion or the whole point of this mess of reasoning about sticks and strings and babies and sense perception. Our knowledge of perfect equality must be something that we've recalled or recollected or remembered from a time before we were born. I love this argument. It's so counterintuitive and it has such a weird conclusion. We must have been hanging around gaining knowledge of perfect equality before we showed up here on Earth in the form of a baby or a fetus or a blastocyst or a fertilized egg. Before we were all those things, we must have been floating around with the perfect things in a heavenly realm apart from this imperfect natural realm. It's really mind-blowing stuff. I don't think the conclusion is true, which means there must be something wrong with this argument. As I teach my logic students day in and day out, and they probably tire of hearing me say... An argument can only go wrong by having a bad structure or a false claim or assumption. In this case, I think the assumptions about sense perception are faulty. I don't need to have knowledge of perfect equality to recognize that two things are similar, but not as similar as they could be. I can do all of that work from within the confines of sense perception itself. I just need three sticks, two of which are more similar to each other than they are to the third then I can extrapolate from that experience to the idea of another stick that is even more similar to the first, and another stick that's even more similar. I can do what's called bootstrapping myself to knowledge of perfect equality, as if I was pulling myself up by my own bootstraps. I, in fact, think this is probably something similar to what we actually do, but I'm no vision scientist, so I won't go resting on any laurels here. All that needs to be for Plato's argument to fail is for there to be the possibility of bootstrapping ourselves to knowledge of perfect equality quite early on in life. If that's even possible, then Plato's argument falls apart. Back to the drawing board, Plato. Or maybe it was my twin brother kicking me in the head that gave me knowledge of perfect equality. I suppose we'll never know, at least not in this life. That's all for now, folks. Thanks for joining us. Thanks to our continued Patreon supporters. Just $1 or even less a month helps us quote-unquote keep the lights on and pay our hosting costs so you can have access to our episodes on many different platforms. Or maybe 50 cents a month. That's a dollar every two months. I'll let you do the rest of the math and decide what you're comfortable with. Patreon.com slash Reductio. This has been an Inverted Spectrum Media production. Please visit our website for ways to support us. Thank you.